Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join Lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, A Good Name. All right, so last week we had the joy, and it was a joy. The joy to study through Acts chapter 10, which really is a crucial chapter in the Bible. And so Acts chapter 10 is very important because Acts chapter 10 tells us how God moved in history to reach the Gentiles. And if you remember, up to Acts chapter 10, the church was predominantly Jewish. And so after the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, what happened in the months to follow is that tens of thousands of Jews turned to Jesus as the risen Lord, as their Messiah, as the Christ. And that's absolutely awesome. But the question I have for you this afternoon is did the Lord only come to save the Jews? Yes or no? No. And we know that because the scriptures, as I just said in my prayer, say that God so loved, you tell me, the world, the whole world, that he gave his only son that, what's the next word? Whoever. I love that word. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish, but have eternal life. And so for 2,000 years, from Abraham all the way to Christ, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, they were considered the people of God. But God so loved the entire world that it's now time in our Bibles for him, through his son Jesus, to make both the Jews and the Gentiles his people. And so we see and we saw last week in Acts chapter 10 that the Holy Spirit led Peter to a Roman centurion's house, Cornelius. And when Peter walked into that house, he saw a house filled not with Jews, but with Gentiles. And even though it was unlawful in that day, in that custom, it was unlawful for a Jew to associate with Gentiles. I love Peter because Peter ignored the Jewish custom of his day and he went right into that, that house and he fellowshiped with and he ate with and he preached to and he shared with Gentiles, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. If you were here last week, you know that Peter shared a basic gospel message and right in the middle of the message, before the choir had time to sing just as I am, right? Right in the middle of the message, the Gentiles believed and the Holy Spirit came. What happens when a person puts, genuinely puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord? What happens is that the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit descends and enters and indwells that person and seals that person until the day of redemption. And that's what happened to Cornelius. And that's what happened to his family and his friends, the Gentiles who were in the home that day. They received the Holy Spirit when they believed. And then after they believed, after they got saved, they were baptized with water and Peter remained with them for some time in order to teach them and in order to disciple them. Now, we don't really get it because we're 2,000 years later, 95% of us are Gentiles. We're like, what's the big deal? But if you put yourself in the sandals of a Jew in the first century, this is a scandalous story because Peter, a Jew, broke all the social mores of his community and he hung out with, ate with, and became friends with a bunch of 
Gentiles. And so I say, praise God that the wall, that big, as we talked last week, tall, thick, dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles is finally beginning to crumble in the church. It's finally coming down right here in our Bibles. But we're gonna see now that not everybody's very happy about this. All right, so if you're looking at Acts chapter 11, verse one, just say amen. amen. Okay, so here we go. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, in other words, the Jewish believers of Jesus in the church of Jerusalem, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, look at this, criticized him. There's some negativity going on in the church. They criticized him saying in verse three, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. All right, so let's get our geographical bearings once again. And so Peter's hanging out, spending time with Cornelius and his crew in Caesarea. And so if you see Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean, just say amen. And so Peter's done discipling them. He heads 57 miles southeast all the way down to Jerusalem. So if you go to the Dead Sea, the top of the Dead Sea, turn left. If you see Jerusalem, say amen. And so Peter gets to Jerusalem. And he finds out when he gets to Jerusalem that all the Jewish believers of Jesus throughout Judea, if you see the big word Judea, say amen. All of the Jewish believers in Jesus throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, Cornelius and his crew, had received the word of God. And when that news reached the ears of the leaders of the church of Jerusalem, apparently they called a meeting with Peter, a church meeting. How many of you guys know that church meetings can sometimes be a little tense, right? And so there's a church meeting and Peter walks into the meeting, but he may as well have been walking into a hornet's nest. And so he walks in and their attitude is, Peter, how could you? How could you enter a Gentile's home? A home filled with uncircumcised men. Peter, why did you fellowship with them? Peter, did you eat with them? Did you eat unclean food? Did you eat lobster? <laughs> Selfish? Shrimp? What are you thinking? Fellowshipping with these people. Listen, this is what the Bible's teaching right now. What are you thinking? Fellowshipping with these Gentiles. And Peter could have said in the church meeting, Peter could have said, guys, don't you know your Bibles? Don't you know in our own scrolls in Isaiah, where Isaiah said that the coming Messiah would be a light for the nations, plural. And not only that, but that his salvation would reach the end of the earth, Isaiah 49, verse six. Guys, don't you remember that Jesus told us to make disciples of how many nations, you guys tell me? All nations, Matthew 28, verse 19. Guys, don't you remember that, that Jesus, before he ascended back up to heaven, said you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you're gonna be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem and Judea, where all the Jews are, but also in Samaria, thank you, Philip, and to the end of the earth. Guys, what are we waiting for? 
Are we gonna continue to obey our man-made rules that prohibit us from associating with people who are different from us, or are we gonna say, forget our man-made rules and start obeying the Lord? Guys, Jesus died for everyone, and the Gentiles, everybody needs to hear about this God who loved, loves them. Now, maybe, maybe Peter said that, and Luke didn't record it, I don't know. But here's what we do know for sure. And that is that Peter shared his story with them. Okay, and so in verses four through 17, what, what it is is basically just a short recap of what we have already studied last week in chapter 10. So we're just gonna read through um, the next 14 verses and I'll, I'll comment as we go. But please look at chapter 11, verse four. It says, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. Okay, so we're in the church meeting with the Jerusalem church leaders. Peter sharing his story, verse five. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I think it's interesting too, he didn't tell them I'm at Simon the Tanner's house. He left that part out. But I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. Something like a what? A great sheet. Do you guys remember this from last week? Descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, and looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. In other words, he saw clean, but mostly unclean food. Leviticus 11 can tell you the difference if you wanna read that later on the great sheet descending from heaven. And in verse seven, Peter hears a voice. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, because I'm a kosher Jew, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth but the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. Everybody look at me. And so you remember the unclean animals on the great sheet represents who? The Gentiles. And so Peter, don't you dare call Gentiles who I'm gonna cleanse with the blood of my son Jesus common or unclean. Verse 10, this happened how many times, church family? Three, Three times. You think God's trying to say something? You see, but we're so legalistic, we're so religious, we're so proud, we're so centered on our man-made religion and our man-made rules, we just have such thick skulls. It's so hard for us to discern the voice of the Spirit and to see how God is moving. But nonetheless, verse 10, this happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. So Gentiles who've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus are on their way to heaven. Verse 11, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived in the, at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. So even though these three guys, and one of them was a Roman soldier, these three guys were Gentiles, the Holy Spirit guys, 
Jewish leaders of the Church of Jerusalem in this church meeting, the Holy Spirit told me to go with them. And these six brothers, can you see Peter now pointing to the six Jewish brothers that he wisely took with him as witnesses of the whole thing? These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And that's when some of them are like, <gasps> he entered a Gentile's house. Verse 13, and he, Cornelius, told us how he had seen the what? The angel, guys. If an angel can go into a Gentile's house, I can go into a Gentile's house, right? And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be, what? Saved, even Cornelius, the quote unquote good guy who gave alms to the poor and prayed regularly to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a God-fearer, even he, the religious guy, needed to be saved. Because ladies and gentlemen, we're all sinners and we all need to be saved. And so he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell. The Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us, guys, at the beginning. Remember Acts 2? Remember the day of Pentecost? And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, immersed, with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift, everybody say gift. gift. Don't ever forget, salvation is a gift from God. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And so God knew that the wall between the Jews and the Gentiles was tall and it was thick and God was determined to kick that thing down. And so to make sure everybody understood how serious he was about kicking down that wall, he repeated the vision to Peter, not once, not twice, but three times. And so the vision of Peter was evidence that God, listen to this, God loves everyone. And Peter was not about to stand in the way of God as he wanted to display his love even to a bunch of Gentiles. If, this is, if the Bible's making sense to you right now, please say amen so I know you're getting what the Bible's saying. All right, so look at the response of the leaders of the church now in verse 18. It says that when they heard these things, they fell silent. They're shocked, they're Jews. But here's the good news. And they glorified God, saying, well then, to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And so praise God, the leaders in the Jerusalem church responded this way. That everybody look at me, that within Christ, within the body of Christ, within the church, Jews who believe in Jesus and Gentiles who believe in Jesus, guess what? We're one. And the apostle Paul, right now his name is Saul. His Hebrew name is Saul. Uh, Roman name is Paul. But right now he's Saul. He's up in Tarsus. He's been there for nine years. More on that later. But when he grows and he grows in his faith, he becomes the apostle Paul. Paul has a way with words. Paul writes very eloquently about this union of Jews and Gentiles in Christ. 
So I want you to real quick look at this classic passage from Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus. He says, remember that you Gentiles were at that time separated. So please say the word separated. Separated Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Please say alienated. And strangers to the covenants of promise. Please say strangers. Having no hope and without God in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but this, for Gentiles like me, and most of you I know are Gentiles, is bad news. That means in our BC days, we were separated, alienated, and strangers having no hope and without God in the world. It doesn't get any worse than that. But here's the good news in the next verse. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, you Gentiles, who were once far off, have been brought near by the what? The blood of Christ. Praise God, right? Peter, don't call common what God has cleansed by the blood of his son. For he himself is our peace. We have peace with God now. Who has made both, both Jews and Gentiles, one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What a way Paul has with words. But basically what he's saying is this, that in Christ's body, in the universal church, Jewish believers and Gentile believers have become one, and it all started in Acts chapter 10. This is why it's so important that we understand what's going on at this section of the book of Acts. And what again was the response of the leaders in verse 18? After they kind of went and fell silent, then they like, Eureka, praise the Lord. And it says in verse 18, they glorified God. So if you're glad that God loves the whole world, if you're glad that Jesus died for everyone, and if you're glad that whoever will accept Christ will not perish, but have everlasting life. I was thinking maybe we could glorify God right now, put our hands together, shout, praise the Lord. This is good news. This is great, great, great news. And you know, you know who it's not good news to? People who think, well, everybody is going to heaven. People who think, everybody's gonna join hands and walk off into the sunset and go to heaven together. You know, they don't think this is such good news. But, but ladies and gentlemen, as I, I submit this to you, you don't know how good the good news is until you realize how bad the bad news is. We were separated, alienated, strangers, without hope, without God, but Christ came to seek and save those who are lost, and we do praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19 now. It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Okay, so Luke, the author of Acts, is now pointing back to Acts chapter eight, one through four, when the Jewish believers uh, and Jesus in the church of Jerusalem were being persecuted by Saul of Tarsus and the Sanhedrin, and so they were persecuted, so they were scattered. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled, look at this, as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the who? The Jews, what are you guys doing? 
All right, so again, we get our geographical bearings after the persecution that arose over Stephen. We already studied it in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. But the Jewish believers in Jesus are persecuted in Jerusalem. And so what happens is that they leave Jerusalem because they want to live. <laughs> they don't want to go to jail. And so they spread up to places like Phoenicia. And so on the, that would be the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, if you go all the way and you look uh, to the west of Syria and you see Phoenicia, just say amen so I know you see it. That's where Tyre and Sidon is. It's Gentile country. And so, and so they, they go up and they scatter to Phoenicia, but it also says that some of them scattered over to Cyprus. That's that big island in the Mediterranean Sea. And yet another third group they scattered all the way up to Antioch, which would be in the top right corner of the, of the Mediterranean Sea. And so if you see the city Antioch, say amen. amen. And so by the way, Antioch's the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time. So you had Rome, Italy, number one, Alexandria, Egypt, number two, and then you have Antioch of Syria, number three, right around 500,000 people in this city. It's a little larger than present day Miami. And so it was great that these Jewish believers were spreading the gospel in these places, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. That's great, but here's what's not so great. They're only sharing the good news of Jesus with Jewish people. And so God's about to change all that right now in verses 20 and 21. All right, so look at verse 20. It says, but there were some of them, these Jewish believers, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, they spoke to who? The who? The Hellenists, or the, yes, right, the Greeks, okay? And so everybody look at me. You guys remember a month ago, the Hellenization of civilization. Alexander the Great conquers the world, right? But then he dies. His kingdom's um, divided up into four generals. And then later on, the Roman Empire comes and then conquers the Greeks. But even though the Roman Empire militarily conquered the Greeks, the Greek culture continued to permeate throughout the whole Roman Empire, the Hellenization of civilization. So people are still speaking Greek and they're still acting and, and being like Greeks. And so this group right here in Antioch are Greek-speaking Gentiles. So the Jewish believers in Jesus in Antioch are sharing the gospel with Greek-speaking Gentiles. And they're, end of verse 20, preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, and, and look at this, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so once again, you see on the map, you have these Jewish believers in Jesus who are on the island of Cyprus, and they're like, man, we need to obey the Great Commission. And so they go to Antioch and start sharing Jesus, not just with the Jews, like the ones in verse 19, but with the Gentiles. And not just Jews um, in Cyprus, but Jewish believers in Cyrene. You can't see Cyrene on the map, 
If you go down to the bottom of the map, that's Northern Africa. You see the the River Nile going into the Mediterranean Sea. If you hang a left five or 600 miles, you go to Cyrene, again, off the map, but it would be present day Libya. And so Jewish believers in Cyprus and Jewish believers in Cyrene go to Antioch and they're sharing with these Greek speaking Gentiles. What's the result? God says, I like that because I love everybody and the hand of the Lord is upon these people these guys, and what happens is a lot of Gentiles come to the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, it's very exciting to me that not just Peter in Caesarea, but now you have more Jewish believers in Jesus who understand that God loves everyone, and they're sharing the good news of Jesus with Gentiles. I believe that God, 2,000 years later, is still looking for people with that same heart. 2,000 years later, the Lord is still looking for people who will share Christ's love with anyone and everyone. If you're with me here, say amen. I need you to get this. God is looking for people like you and me who understand that everybody needs Christ. And we need to have a heart that when God opens doors, anybody who will listen will share the love of Jesus. No matter what their background no matter what their culture, no matter what the skin of their color is, no matter what their socioeconomic status is, no matter what their political persuasion is, that we understand that God is above all of that. He loves the whole world, and we need to get this good news out to everybody. Everybody and anybody. Why? Because everybody needs Jesus. And so we got to become like Peter. We got to become like these Jewish believers in Jesus from Cyprus and Cyrene who are willing to leave our comfort zones and actually engage people who are different from us. Actually get to know people who think differently than us and act differently from us. And when we do that, we have a heart like that, just like God's hand in verse 21 was on these people, his hand will be upon us. And we'll see our church continue to grow and continue to reach people. Why? Because God is not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is the heart we need to have. Look at verse 22. It says that the report of this, that more Gentiles are getting saved. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. The first time they heard about this with Peter and Caesarea, they freaked out but now they've warmed up to the idea. And so it says at the end of verse 22 that they sent who to Antioch? Barnabas, good old Barney, our friend, right? So news got back to the church of Jerusalem. Hey, Hellenistic Gentiles are turning to the Lord. And they're like, Barnabas, you're a Hellenist. You speak Greek. Are you willing to go? Barnabas was like, well, yeah, I am. He packs his bags back to the map and he's in Jerusalem. And so he packs his bag and Barnabas gets on a camel, donkey, horse, whatever. And he makes a 300 mile trip north all the way up to Antioch in order to share and disciple and encourage these new believers. Look at verse 23. It says that when he came to Antioch, and saw the grace of God, all these Gentiles getting saved, he was mad, is that what it says? No, he was glad. 
And he exhorted them all, all these new Gentile believers, to remain faithful to the Lord. Can you see Barnabas preaching? Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. All right, so we were already introduced to Barnabas back in Acts chapter four. And in that chapter, we learned that his name actually means the son of encouragement. And so when Barnabas made his 300-mile mission trip up to Antioch and he got there and he saw all these Gentiles turning to the Lord, it says that he was glad. Why? Because there wasn't a racial bone in this guy's body. He understood that God loves the whole world. So he's happy that Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus are now becoming one, that the wall is coming down. And true to his name, Barnabas encouraged the Gentiles. He says, I want you guys to be, end of verse 23, faithful to the Lord. In other words, I want you guys to be lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. And I want you guys to, to live with steadfast purpose. Man, live with purpose. Stop living for yourself and start living for the Lord. And so verse 24, yeah, Barnabas, man, he was an encourager, wasn't he? Now, now, everybody please look at me. In verse 24, by the way, Luke's the author of Acts, but who's really the author of Acts? God, the Holy Spirit. If you believe in the inspiration of the, well, whether you believe in inspiration of the Bible or not, God wrote it. Holy men of God spoke and moved and wrote as they were led along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, through Luke, inserts a very interesting comment here about Barnabas's character. Now, who knows us better than anybody knows us? God. So for the Holy Spirit to say this about Barnabas, man, this guy's the real deal. We need to pause for a little while. We need to think about Barnabas. All right, so look at verse 24. It says, for he was a, what kind of man? A good man. You say, Pastor, I thought there's none righteous, no, not one. I thought all of our righteousness are like filthy rags before God. Well, yeah, that's true in your BC days. But when you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and begins to, to produce the fruit of the Spirit through you, you can be a good man and a good, a, a good woman. 100%, absolutely. God's, did you know that God's goal for saving you is that you and I would be holy? You don't hear that preached very much anymore. God's goal in saving you and I is that we would be holy. And so verse 24, Barnabas is a good man. Look at this. He's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And so one thing we know for sure, and that is that Barnabas had a really good reputation. As we continue to pause here and think about this, the book of Proverbs wisely says that a good name is more desirable than great riches and to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. And so don't you know, and I know you guys know this, that some people so desire to be rich, they'll do anything to increase their wealth. They will lie, they will cheat, they will steal, they will sell their bodies, they will do whatever they can do 
in order to get ahead financially. They'll hurt others, they'll cut corners, they'll cheat on their taxes. It's always whatever I can do, you know, to get more money. Now, here's the thing. They may become rich, and many of them do. They may become rich, but in the process, they're developing a bad reputation, a bad name. And Proverbs says there's another way, there's a better way, and that is to have a good name. Because a good name, ladies and gentlemen, is more desirable than great riches. Having a good reputation is more important than how much money you got in the bank. Now, I know the culture doesn't believe that, but hey, any dead fish can float down the stream. It takes a live fish to, float, to, to swim upstream. If you and I have been born again by the Spirit of God, we're gonna believe that having a good reputation is better than how much money we got in the bank. That's the truth. This is Christianity, if you wanna be part of it. A good name is more desirable than great riches and to be esteemed, not in the sense of a, having a big ego and want everybody to look at you, but the word esteemed there in the uh, original is, really has to do with the idea of favor. Some of your translations have favor here. In other words, that because you're a person of integrity, that God is giving you favor and people are giving you favor. They're esteeming you. And so a good name, a good reputation is more desirable than great riches and to be esteemed, to have favor from God and man because of your integrity is better than silver or gold. Billy Graham said this, when wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. But when character is lost, how much is lost? Everything. Everything. You see, having health and wealth is great, but it's not the most important thing. Character is more important because character has to do with who we really are in the core of our being. And so I wanna ask you this question, take a little spiritual inventory, put your guard down. I don't want you to raise your hand or, or answer out loud, but just between you and the Lord, and by the way, who knows you better than anybody? God. So here's the question. Are you a person of integrity? Are you a person of character? Now here's what I know, that if you will cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the sanctification process, as he changes you and I from the inside out, if you'll surrender to the Lord and let him have his way, listen, when the inside is taken care of, the outside takes care of itself. And so if you in, on the inside, if I on the inside, if we are people of character and people of integrity, then the outside will take care of itself. We will have that good name, that good reputation. It is vital. Please hear the heart of your pastor. It is vital that you and I have a good reputation. It is vital that this church continues to have a good reputation in our community. Now listen, people will disagree about our stance on Jesus, that he's the one and only way. They may disagree with the fact that we believe that this book is actually God's word. Okay, they may disagree with us about um, some of our socially conservative positions that are based on the word of God. They may disagree and get mad about that. But here's the thing. One thing that they should never, ever be able to point their finger at is the fact that we don't have a good reputation or we're not people of character. They should say, yeah, even though I disagree with them, they are honest, genuine, integral people. 
Am I making sense with you guys? Let's keep that in this community. Let's keep that name. Let's keep that reputation. And why is it so important to have a good name? It's so important because of who we belong to. We belong to Jesus. So it's vital that we represent him well. It's vital that you represent him well and that I do as well. Barnabas did a good job at this. When you look at his life, it's very apparent that he had a good name. All right, so what we're gonna do now is we're just gonna look at what the book of Acts has said about Barnabas so far. It has a lot more to say about, because we're not done with, with Barnabas' life. But check this out. Do you remember this? We studied all this. In Acts chapter four, verse 37, he gave money to help the needy. And so he had a piece of property. He sold it. He liquidated his asset. He brought the proceeds, the money from that sale to the leaders of the church of Jerusalem. And he gave it to the Lord so that they could spread it out as they see people having need in the church. Not only that, but he was a true friend to Saul. If you remember in chapter nine, verse 27, Saul gets in trouble uh, in Damascus after meeting the risen Christ. And so he makes enemies, they wanna kill him. He goes down to Jerusalem, to the church, and Saul's like, I'm so excited, I wanna meet my new brothers and sisters in the Lord. And everybody's like, stay away, we don't want you here. No one wanted to be the friend of Saul. But who took him under his wing? Barnabas, come here you, I'll be your friend, right? He encouraged him. He introduced him to the apostles. He says, hey, he's one of us now, it's cool. Barnabas had a good name. Number three, he went on a missions trip to help others. We just saw this. Hey, Barnabas, there's Greek-speaking Gentiles who are getting saved up in Antioch. You speak Greek, will you go? Yeah, he packed his bag 300 miles, that's inconvenient, all the way up there to do number four, Exhort those new believers to stay faithful, to be lifelong followers of Christ. Not only that, the Holy Spirit says he's a good man because everybody knows that true faith will always produce the fruit of good works, James chapter two, 14 and following. Not only that, he's full of the Holy Spirit. That means that Barnabas came to a place, everybody look at me, stay with me here, I know this is a lot of content, but, but listen, Barnabas came to the place where he surrendered his life to the Lord and because he surrendered his will to God's will, the Holy Spirit began to control him and empower him for ministry. This is the key to this guy's effective ministry. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's anointed by God. And then finally, the Bible says that he's full of faith. In other words, Barnabas took God at his word. If God's made me a promise, I believe God's a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. And so I'm gonna step out, no fear, no worry, no doubt. I know God's gonna come through for me. Barnabas had a good name. Said another way, Barnabas had a good dash. You say, what do you mean good dash? Here's what I mean. You see, that's gonna be all y'all someday. Me too. You ever thought about that for more than two seconds? That's gonna be all of us, at least our bodies. Unless, unless the rapture occurs in our lifetime, that's gonna happen to us. One day, we're gonna have a gravestone with our date of birth and our date of death. 
and at that time what's gonna be so much more important than when we were born or when we died is the dash in between. In other words, what's really gonna be important is not when we were born or when we died, but how did we live our life? That's what's most important. How's your dash? Barnabas had a good dash because he had a good name. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the same exact uh, characteristics of Barnabas. We're gonna apply that to our lives. Okay, so are you a giver? Are you a true friend? Are you willing to go on a missions trip? Inconvenient, pack your bags, go to Haiti, El Salvador, maybe Africa someday. If you can't afford that, we got local opportunities here for missions. But are you willing to do that? Are you an encourager? Are you a good person? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? And are you full of faith? Ladies and gentlemen, James tells us in James 4.14 that our life is like a mist. It appears for a little while and then poof, it vanishes away. You ever been driving to work in the morning and it's all foggy, but then by the time you get to work, the fog is lifted? That's your life. That's my life. What I'm trying to say here is we don't have a lot of time to work on the dash. The average American man, I just checked it hot off the press, lives to 76 years old. That's not a long time. Ladies, you have it on us, I don't know why. The average American lady lives to 81 years old. Still, not a lot of time. I don't know when you're going, I don't know when I'm going, but here's what I know. We're gonna go, <laughs> someday. How's our dash? Now you may say, uh, not so good. Well, here's the good news, be encouraged. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. You can change your dash. It's up to you. Listen, do you think the Lord doesn't want you to change your dash? No, he's, he's ready, he's just waiting on you. You gotta make that choice, you gotta make that decision. And by the way, if there's anybody here who thinks, oh, I got a really good dash, I'd say, really? Okay, if you really wanna know if you got a good dash, here, here's what you need to do. Ask your wife. <laughs> you say, you're trying to start a war in my house today, pastor. No, no, no. If you ask your wife, here's why, here's, guys, if you're with me, guys, say amen. amen. That's five guys, wow. <laughs> guys, if you're with me, say amen. amen. All right, guys, so here's what you do. You just, before you have this conversation with your wife, you say, Lord, I'm gonna swallow my pride, I'm gonna die to myself, and I don't care what the woman says, I'm gonna not react. And you go to her humbly, with a teachable spirit, and you say, honey, how's my dash? Ladies, ask your husbands, how's your dash? If you really wanna know, ask your kids. They'll tell you like that. They'll just tell you. And if any of this is bothering anybody right now, here, here's why, it's your ego. It's your pride. No one's gonna tell me how my dash is. You got a bad dash, that's the problem. <laughs> the question is, 
Are we willing to change? Are we really willing to co uh, uh, cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this thing called sanctification? And so today's the first day of the rest of your life. Surrender to the Lord. Ask him to fill you with his spirit every day. Get in the word of God every single day. Pray to God like he's your best friend because he is. Choose to be a lifelong follower of Christ. And guess what? The dash will take care of itself. All right, so we gotta hurry. Look at verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Okay, so the church is growing in Antioch. Barnabas is overwhelmed. He's like, I need more pastors on my staff. Oh yeah, my old friend Saul. And so he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they, that's Barnabas and Saul, met with the church and taught. You see this? You see the importance of teaching here? For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called what? Christians, all right? And so back in chapter nine, verse 29 and 30, unbelieving Jews are trying to kill Saul. He runs for his life. He gets on a boat and he goes back home to Tarsus, way up um, just to the left of Antioch. That was not about nine years ago. Can you believe that? I mean, we're going through the Bible in weeks. About nine years ago, scholars say, Saul's been up in Tarsus, up in the region of Cilicia. And in Antioch, Barnabas is being overwhelmed by all these people who need ministry. And he's like, I need help. And so he takes the 100-mile trip to the west from Antioch over to Tarsus. Where's my friend? Where's my friend? And it says he looks for him. In the Greek, the word look means look high and low, look high and low. He had a, Barnabas had a hard time finding Saul. I guess they both had not downloaded the Find My Friend app in their phones or whatever. But he cannot find this guy. But finally he finds him and he's like, hey, I need help in Antioch. Will you help me with this church? Will you come on staff, so to speak? And so Saul's like, yep, I'll go. And for a whole year, can you imagine, ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine being part of this church? For a whole year, the people get to sit under the teaching of the guy who's gonna become the apostle Paul and Barnabas, encouraging them. You know, Paul rebukes them and Barnabas probably comes around and encourages them. But for a whole year, it's so sweet. It's so awesome. And it says at the end of verse 26 that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so if you look at Acts and the names given to followers of Jesus, you see that the name is brothers in chapter one, believers in chapter five, followers of the way in chapter nine, saints a little later in chapter nine, but then my favorite, Christians. Christians. The suffix I-A-N means of the party of, all right? So if you're a Herodian, that means you're a follower of Herod. You're part of Herod's party. If you're a Christian, you're part of the party of Christ. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. This word only appears three times in the New Testament. Here, later on in Acts 26, 28, when Agrippa says, Paul, are you think you're gonna persuade me to be a Christian? And then in 1 Peter 4, 15, where Peter says that if any of you uh, suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God in that name. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? He takes most likely what's a term of derision in Antioch. Unbelievers, oh, you poor, sorry Christians. The Holy Spirit's like, I like that name. And he puts it in 1 Peter 4.15 to describe the people of God. Here's your last point. The title Christian is a good title and we should wear it as a badge of honor. Ladies and gentlemen, more important than I'm an American is I'm a Christian. More important than I'm a Republican or Democrat is I'm a Christian. That's the truth. That's the truth. I'm just kind of setting you up because I know next year is a big political year. Here's what you need to know. I'll give you a uh, 12-month advance notice that next year, our church, those of you who are willing to stay, our church will be more excited about King Jesus than the next person who's gonna sit in the White House. That's where we stand. When the Bible teaches certain truths, we're gonna preach it unashamedly. But listen, King Jesus is where your heart needs to be because we're Christians, more important than Republican or Democrat. Thank you for that, amen, that encourages me. I know I'm gonna have two people next year. (laughs) More important than I'm a Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian is I'm a Christian. More important than I'm a dad or a mom, husband or wife, is I'm a Christian. More important than I'm whatever sports fan, I'm a dolphin fan. Yeah, but way more important than that (laughs) is I'm a Christian, right? The church of Antioch was filled with Christians and it's gonna show right here in the last four verses. Okay, so we're gonna read the rest of the chapter and be done. So, So now in the days, verse 27, In these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, and by the way, they're gonna determine to give. If you don't determine to give, you'll never give. If you don't determine to come to weekend gatherings, you'll never come. If you don't determine to pray, determine to read your Bible, determine to be a lifelong follower of Christ, you're just gonna be tossed to and fro with the waves of the world. And so get some determination. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea because of the coming famine. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So because these people were Christians, followers of Christ, they knew our brothers and sisters are in need, so they sent financial help to help those who were in need. Why? Because Christians are givers, that's why. That's Acts chapter 11.